Now our Bible reading this morning is continuing our series in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 21 and verses 28 through to 46. And Mary Miller is going to read that for us today. Just a word of explanation before we begin the passage. Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching. Uh, The leading priests and other leaders are there too, specifically because they want to know by whose authority Jesus cleared the temple of merchants the day before. So they ask him by whose authority he did this. And Jesus, however, answers them with another question, which they refuse to answer. And so Jesus asks them yet another question. And that's where we're starting at verse 28. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and he went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. Well, tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refuse to believe him and repent of your sins. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him. But the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you 
and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit, anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. Amen, and may God bless to our heart's understanding this reading from his word, and to his name be all glory and honour and praise. Now this morning we are continuing our series in Matthew's Gospel, and we're going to be thinking about uh, these two parables that we find in Matthew 21. So if you have your Bible there, uh, then please do turn back to Matthew uh, 21 as we think about these parables today. Now one of the things that we might perhaps overlook in these chapters is that we are in the last week of Jesus' life. Sometimes we forget that, uh, don't we? Jesus is very aware that his hour has come. He is very aware that things are coming to a head and that what he has come to do in laying down his life is about to happen. And so you might notice that Jesus' actions during this last week are much more direct and much more of a challenge to the religious authorities. Now, that's not to say that Jesus is afraid to, to you know, speak with the religious authorities, but he does it in a much more direct way in the last week of his life. Now, if you remember the sequence of events here, remember that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey on the Sunday, commonly known by us as, as Palm Sunday. And Jesus doing that, riding on this donkey, on the colt of a donkey, was a direct reference to Jesus being the Messiah. And the people recognized that. Remember, they cut down their palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna, and they welcomed the King who comes in the name of the Lord. But when Jesus had come in on the donkey, sometimes because we only look at that on Palm Sunday, and then the next Sunday, oh, we're suddenly on, well, Good Friday, we're on the, the cross, and then the Sunday, we're on the resurrection. We kind of forget that there's all this stuff that's in between Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and what happens at the crucifixion. So as soon as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, he then goes into the temple, and we saw this a couple of weeks ago, that he overturned the tables. That was quite something. If you went across to the barony, and you turned over all the tables, Eleanor's not going to be very pleased, and the others in the barony committee are not going to be very pleased about that. What are you doing? It's a direct attack on the religious authorities. Jesus then spends overnight in Bethany, and then on the Monday, the Monday of Holy Week, Jesus returns to Jerusalem to the temple, withering the fig tree as he goes. Remember, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And then he goes and he teaches in the temple. And you remember a couple of weeks ago also 
that the religious authorities questioned Jesus about his authority. By what authority are you doing these things? How is it that you can come into the temple and you can tip the tables over? How is it that you can ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? And you've got all these crowds shouting, Hosanna. How is it you're able to do these things? And we finished a couple of weeks ago by thinking about how Jesus gave the religious authorities a quandary. Because as Jesus does, he often asks a question. And he says to the religious authorities, was John the Baptist's authority from heaven or from man? And they can't answer it. Because if they say from heaven, well, Jesus will say, well, well, why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you repent? But if they say, well, John the Baptist was from man, then the religious authorities were afraid of the crowds, that the crowds might riot. And so they come back to Jesus and say, I don't know. We don't know where your authority comes from. And Jesus says, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, that's where we left it a couple of weeks ago. And you might think, well, Jesus is being very cryptic by that, does he not? But you've got to realize here that immediately he goes on to these two parables. So he says, and I won't tell you by what authority I do these things, but what do you think about this? And he tells these two parables. That's what you see in verse 28. But what do you think about this? Jesus tells these two parables. And then it's followed by another parable as we enter chapter 22. That's been probably uh, added in uh, by Matthew to emphasize Jesus' teaching. So what we're going to do is look at these two parables, just very briefly, uh, found in chapter 21 today. Now, the first parable concerns a father who has two sons. The father asks both sons to go and work in the vineyard. The first son says no, but then later goes. And the second son says yes, but then doesn't go. Now, there is nothing more infuriating, is there? And I say that as a father of two sons than someone who says they are going to do something and then they do not do it. That's so frustrating, isn't it? Can you please get off the couch and unstack the dishwasher, put your clothes away? Yes, Dad, I'll do it. Two hours later, not happened. Nothing has happened. And to be fair, adults can be quite as bad as well. There's nothing worse, is there, than the person who gives lip service, but they have no intention of doing the thing that is asked. Now, the, the whole point of this first parable is about words and actions. And it's clear that the, the son who initially said no, but then who went and did the thing, is the one who's obedient in comparison to the one who says yes and then didn't go. Yeah, we understand that from the parable. Now, I often think what the father must have thought of that first initial son. You know, son, will you go to the vineyard and, and you know, work there? No. Okay, no, not the best answer, is it? 
But it seems to me that that son, after he said no, he's had a bit of a time of reflection. He thought, actually, I should go. It's the right thing to do. I should go. And so he goes. And it's clear, isn't it, that the son who initially said no but then went, he's the son who does the right thing, isn't he? And the religious leaders, they understand this. They believe that the first son obeyed the father. Why? Because it's actions that count, not words. Actions. But then Jesus explains the parable. And it's not going to be an explanation that the religious leaders like. Because Jesus says, and these words are dynamite, incidentally, to these religious leaders. Jesus says this. He says, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom before you do. That's basically what Jesus is saying. And this is also where John the Baptist comes back in. Because Jesus shows that John the Baptist showed the religious leaders how to live, and yet they don't believe him, and they didn't repent. And so what I want you to see is that these religious leaders, they might talk a good game, but their actions betray that they're not in the right place. Whereas in comparison, those you would not expect to enter the kingdom of God... Corrupt tax collectors who are cheating the people, prostitutes who are living an immoral life, people who are sinners who are not respectable at all. What have they done? They've believed the message. They've trusted in Jesus. They've repented. And they are coming into the kingdom of God. That's the upside-down nature of the kingdom. That the kingdom is open to anyone who will believe and trust in Jesus for their salvation. It's actions that count, not words. Now then Jesus moves on to the second parable entitled in the New Living Translation as the parable of the evil farmers. Now, we can follow this parable quite easily, can't we? we? We see that the landowner plants a vineyard, and then he leases the vineyard to tenant farmers. And at the time of the harvest, he sends his servants to take his share of the harvest. He's, he's been renting it out, and therefore a share of the harvest would be basically his rental, rental income. And so he, he quite legitimately sends his servants to, to take his share of the harvest. But we're told in a very shocking way, the tenant farmers beat one, of the har- beat one of the servants, kill one of the servants, and stone another of the servants. Awful. And then the landowner sends more servants, even more of them. And these tenant farmers do exactly the same thing. They beat and kill them. Finally, the owner sends his son, expecting that the tenant's Surely respect the son. Haven't respected the servants. Surely they're going to respect the son. But no. They tried to grab the estate from themselves. They murder the son. And then Jesus asks the religious leaders a question. Now, I want you to notice in both these parables. He tells the parable, then asks the question. The religious leaders then give the answer. You notice that? 
After he's told the parable, Jesus asks the religious leaders a question. When the owners of the vineyard returns, what do you think he will do to these farmers? Now, it's quite obvious what the answer would be. If you heard this story for the first time, you think, that's awful, isn't it? How dare these tenant farmers treat the servants that way, kill them, beat them up? It's horrible. And then to do it to the son, that's awful. We ought to be outraged by this. And the religious leaders, they understand the parable. They're outraged by it. They answer, he will put these tenant farmers to a horrible death, lease the vineyard to others who will give them a share, uh, give him his share of the crop. And then as they give that answer, which is the logical answer, Jesus then challenges them with some verses from Psalm 118. Because Jesus says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. Now, a couple of things here. In this parable, it's clear that Jesus is referring to how the prophets who have gone before him have been mistreated and even killed. It doesn't take a great leap to see that the servants who are being, it doesn't take a great leap to see that the owner of the vineyard is God, that the servants are the prophets of old, probably including John the Baptist. It doesn't take a great leap to see that Jesus is the Son. And so we see that the prophets of old have been mistreated, have been killed, and you'll see that in the Old Testament, some of the mistreatment of people like Jeremiah. And here is Jesus as the Son of God. And what's about to happen to him? Remember, this is Monday. What's going to happen on Friday? He's about to be killed. And so what Jesus is saying here is prophetic. He's about to lay down his life. You see, Jesus is the Son. And he is the cornerstone. And he's the one whom the religious leaders are rejecting. Now, interestingly, with most parables, the religious leaders are blind to the parables. They don't really understand the meaning of the parables. But here in this parable, we see in verse 45, the religious leaders know that Jesus is speaking about them and against them. They know that they're able to put themselves in the parable, and they know that they are the wicked farmers. But rather than repent and turn from their wicked ways, what do they want to do? They don't heed the message. They want to arrest Jesus. But at this moment, they're too cowardly because the crowds are all around them. As we know, this will come later, won't it? Jesus will be arrested. It will come at night when there's no crowd. They don't want to respond to the message that Jesus is telling them or to the warning that Jesus is giving them. Now, what are we to make of these two parables today? Well, the first thing I want you to note that is in both parables, Jesus asked the religious leaders a question in the middle. And by their answer, they implicate themselves. Do you notice that? 
So when Jesus tells the parable of the two sons, he then asks them, well, which son does the right thing? They understand it's the first one. They understand it's the one who initially said no and then went. That it's actions that count. By understanding the parable, they implicate themselves. In the second parable, we see that Jesus asks them a question, well, what should the landowner do to those wicked tenant farmers? What do they say? Well, they stick their hands in their hips, don't they? They're infuriated. Oh, it's terrible. They should put them to death. They've done this awful thing. It's a bit like the story. Do you remember in the Old Testament? Remember when David had sinned with Bathsheba? And how Nathan the prophet goes to see David and tells him a little parable. And David understands the parable. He's furious about this parable. And then Nathan, the prophet, says, you, David, are that man. And it's the same in these parables, isn't it? The religious leaders understand what the parables are about. They understand that they are the wicked farmers. And yet they are unwilling to respond to the message in them. They are the ones who are rejecting the cornerstone. They are the ones who are rejecting Jesus. Now, what are we to make of this today? Well, the first parable, as we've already seen, is really about words and actions. The religious leaders talk a good game, but their hearts, their hearts are far from the Lord. They don't truly believe. Their hearts are hard, and they haven't truly repented. And yet there are others some of whom are are notorious sinners, and yet they have believed and have repented and have come into the kingdom of God. And the challenge here for us is this. Do we truly believe who Jesus is? Do we truly believe it? Because all throughout Matthew's gospel, it's been slowly revealed to us That Jesus, he is the Messiah. He is the very Son of God. He is going to lay down his life. Do we truly believe in him? Do we believe he is the Son of God? Do we believe that he is the Savior that we need? The religious leaders didn't believe it. They heard it, but they didn't listen. They didn't believe and they didn't respond. Prostitutes, corrupt tax collectors, they did. Now, as I look out to you this morning, I'm not saying which camp you're in. But it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you think you're respectable or you're not respectable. It doesn't matter if you've done rubbish things in, in, the, in the background of your life. We can all come into the kingdom if we put our faith and trust in Jesus because he is willing to forgive us. Do we believe he's the son of God? That he's the savior that we need? And if we do believe this, have we let that truth sink into us and change us? Or have we repented? Because that is what Jesus is calling us to do. He's saying, turn from your, your ways of the past. Turn from your sin and come to me. 
and no newness of life. In the second parable, we see that the tenant farmers are the ultimate traitors. Have you seen that television program this week? Some of you have been watching it, haven't you? The traitors. They're traitors, these tenant farmers. They kill the servants, they kill more servants, and they then plot to kill the son, and they achieve it. It's prophetic of what happened to Jesus. This is Monday, this would happen by Friday. And did you notice that Jesus said to the religious leaders, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce proper fruit. Which, of course, if you think about it, takes us back to the story of the fig tree. Remember we looked at the fig tree a couple of weeks ago? And do you remember how it just seemed incidental? You know, Jesus had been at the temple. He'd overturned the the tables. He'd had a bit of discussion. He'd gone back to Bethany. He'd come back the next morning, gone to this fig tree, was hungry. It had no fruit on it. He cursed it. It withered. You think, that's very strange. Why is Jesus doing that? Well, Jesus cursed that fig tree because it wasn't bearing any fruit. It's a picture. It's a picture of the religious leaders and their fruitlessness. And the kingdom of God will be taken from them because of their unbelief in Jesus. And we too must heed that warning. You see, the reality is that we, if we're believers in Christ, we are engrafted branches. That's how Paul describes us in his letter to the Romans. And we too have to make sure that we believe and that we trust and that we live out our faith in action. So this morning, as we journey with Jesus in this final week, as he moves towards the cross, let's think about the ultimate question that he is posing to us. Because he is asking us, do you believe that I am the Messiah? Do you believe that I am the Son of God? Do you believe that I am the cornerstone? And if we do believe these things, let's not just affirm this in words. Because we can be guilty of that, can't we? Oh yes, I believe it. Let's follow through in action. As we know the truth, let it sink into us. Let's turn away from our sin. Let's repent from our sin and turn towards God and say, God, I am yours. I want to trust and obey you as you've called me today. You see, as we repent, as we turn to God, The promise is for those that do that they will come into the kingdom of God. Do we believe that promise this morning? You see, next time when we look at this next parable, there is the reality of what happens to those who do not believe and trust in Jesus, who reject Jesus. We don't want to be people who reject Jesus because there are consequences. We want to be people who trust in Jesus and who know the joy 
of our salvation. So this morning, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you trust in him? And do you show that in action? Because that is what God is calling you to do. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Lord God, we want to serve you. Not just in words, but in action. Help us not to be like the religious leaders in their disbelief. But when we understand who Jesus is, as we repent of our sin, as we turn to you, Lord God, help us to rejoice that Jesus is the cornerstone, that he is the very Savior that we need. And this is your doing, Lord God. And it is wonderful to see. So, Lord God, we pray this morning that we might leave this place not in confusion, not in a downcast way, but we might leave rejoicing that Jesus is our Savior and that when we trust in him, then we know fullness of life and life everlasting. So, Lord God, help us to trust in you this day. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.